Good morning. Good to see everybody today. Uh, we are in the third week, I think, third week, yes, of the Breaking Bad series, talking about relationships. Today we're going to talk about belief, what we believe, what we must believe. Uh, beliefs are very, very important because whatever our core beliefs are, our core convictions, they impact our actions. In other words, put it this way, if I was to say, hey, I really believe that prayer is important, but I seldom pray, do I really believe prayer is important? If I say, hey, I think we all should recycle. I actually, uh, recycling is a core conviction of mine. I'm a big advocate of recycling, but I seldom recycle. Do I really believe in recycling? Do I really believe in prayer? Well, the same thing goes with our relationships. We're going to talk about a bunch of things, practical things, right from the Bible today that are proven. These are studied. It's clear. It's proven. They make an impact. They make a change. But we will never do these things long term. We will never do these things that are powerful to make changes in our lives unless we truly believe them. So we have to start with belief first. So let's look at Ruth chapter 2. We're going to read the first five verses. Then I'm just going to explain the rest of the chapter to you. So here's what happens. This is where we really get introduced to this guy by the name of Boaz, which we talked about last week. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing. A man of standing means he's a man of character. He's known in the community as a man of character, of an integrity. From the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz, and Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone and whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, notice that, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Now here's what happens next, and this is highly unusual. So he asks his foreman, he sees Ruth working out in the field, who, who is that? And so he says, well, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, that's, that's who it is. And then he goes to talk to her. Like, he initiates, a, this is unusual, this would not be done in their culture, and he is so prompted that he goes over and begins a conversation with her, and he begins to talk to her. And in his conversation with her, the first thing he says is, look, 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 don't go to anybody else's field, which makes us speculate this, why, is she, why would she go to another field? It makes us speculate that maybe she's right now leaving that field, going to another field, and why would she do that? Well, he says, don't go to anybody else's field, because I've told everybody, all of my workers, nobody's to touch you. Like, I put them on. You are a made woman now. Nobody touches you. So we speculate that maybe before he showed up, the people had been mistreating her because that was normal in the field. Here you have an unprotected woman. She's in the field working. She's gleaning behind everybody else. And so he comes in and says, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody touches her. And he tells her that you don't need to go anywhere else. Nobody touches you. And then he says, look, uh, eat and drink absolutely as much as you want. There's free access to the water, free access to the food, have as much as you want. And when the day's over, he says, look, don't go home empty-handed. 
You might remember from last week, we talked about Naomi who says, I have come back to Bethlehem empty-handed. He says, don't go home to Naomi empty-handed. Take her as much food as you can carry. Now, what's he doing? He's doing the three things that in the scriptures, every godly man does in his relationship with a woman. He's providing, protecting, and pursuing. It's the role of a man in scripture towards his romantic interest. Providing, protecting, and pursuing. And this is what he does. So he pursues her. Now, we see that these are very practical things in this story that we can follow. I've covered just a couple of them, and we've got a bunch more that are ahead of us. I often hear this. I often feel this, actually. I'll say to myself, or I'll hear other people say to me, you know what, my relationship is in X, Y, or Z place, and I don't know what to do. Like God... If you would just, if you would just tell me what to say to my wife, I would say it. God, if you would just tell me what I should do in this relationship, I would do it. If you would just make it so plain to me, but instead I'm kind of frozen here. I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do. And what's awesome is, is that God gives us things that we can say and do. All right. I want you to uh, watch this. You're the one that I love. 
pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we go through this message in the next few moments and we talk about our beliefs and how they impact our actions, Father, I just want to ask that uh, you would come down in this place, that you would be here um, in an extraordinary way, and you would bless our relationships like for those of us longing and looking for love because you've put it in our hearts to do so, God, would you be that divine matchmaker? Lord, for those of us in a relationship, and maybe that relationship just needs a boost, God, would you help us today to maybe get over ourselves and to do what needs to be done, to do that simple, practical powerful thing that we need to do today father for relationships that need reconciliation god would today be a day of healing and of reconciliation help us father in christ's name amen i want to talk about four beliefs and uh Again, I want to talk about them because our beliefs are so incredibly important. These simple things that I'm going to suggest that we do both this week and next week, we will not do them long term unless we believe certain things. And the first thing is this. We must believe that God is at work. We must believe that God is at work. It says in verse number three, as it turns out, Ruth just so happens to be gleaning in the field of Boaz. And you know what God is trying to tell us from that? God is trying to say, tongue-in-cheek, no. It's no coincidence here that God is behind the scenes in all of Naomi and Ruth's bitterness and emptiness and hopelessness that they're feeling about their lives. What we get a glimpse right here is that God is at work. It's no coincidence that she is in Boaz's field. So we're using this story of Breaking Bad, this guy, Walter White, this chemist, right? 
who gets lung cancer is going to die, and so he concocts this scheme to become a crystal meth cook, and he's going to make all kinds of money. And what what is so clear about that story, if you happen to read through it or watch that series, is you know this, and we're not endorsing the series, just FYI, but Jesus used practical, relevant things to get a hold of his audience, and so we're trying to do the same thing. So what does he do? He doesn't involve God. He doesn't involve anybody. He does it all by himself. And this is what I'm saying to you. If you don't think that God is involved in your search for love or in your love, you will make decisions that maybe you're going to look back on and regret them. But if you know that God is active, working in your relationship, and as it turns out that God is showing up and God cares about you, why do we have all these scriptures that say stuff like God knows the very number of hairs on your head? Why in the world would God tell us that? Why do, why do we have these scriptures like, God knits you together in your mother's womb? Why would we have that? Why do we have scriptures that says, every time you think about God or you speak about God, that God's up there with a pad, he's got a pen and paper, and he's writing it down. Why would we have that? Because God's trying to say this. He's trying to say to us, reject the lie that he doesn't see you, hear you, or care about you. God is trying to say that that's a lie. God does see you, hear you, and care about you. He cares about your relationship. He cares about your journey. He cares about your search. We must believe that God is at work behind the scenes. And if we don't have that belief, we will make certain decisions that will have a negative impact upon our life. Second belief is this. We must believe that our relationship with God makes us attractive. We must believe that our relationship with God makes us attractive. Boaz here is seen as a godly man. So it says, the very first thing it says about him, it says, end quotes, right? So it says, he's a man of standing, which means he's a man of integrity. And then what's the first words that we hear him speak in the book of Ruth? He says, the Lord bless you to his workers. And as the whole story unfolds, you, you understand that he is a godly man. Ruth also is a woman who is pursuing God. So she's on the road in chapter 1 with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Naomi's like, no, go back, go back to your other gods. Naomi is so bitter. Go back to your other gods, forget it, go back. And she says, no, 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 no. Even if I have to die, your God is going to be my God. I'm following God no matter what you say. I'm not turning back from following God. And here's what we know about God. God is in the character development business. That's what's important to God. What's important to God is he develops our character and who we are. And the more time we spend with God, the more character he develops in us. And if we let God develop his character in us, we attract the right types of characters into our life. Did you get that? If you let God develop your character, then God begins and your character begins to attract the right types of characters into your life. You wonder sometimes, why am I always attracting a certain type of person? Maybe we need to allow God to develop our character to a point that we begin to attract the certain types of characters who we really want in our life. And so Boaz and Ruth are attracted to each other. Boaz, when, when Ruth says to him, why are you giving me all this stuff? Why are you protecting me? Why are you pursuing me? Why are you providing me? What does he say back? He says to her, because I've heard about your character. And basically he says, I'm very impressed. And obviously she's attracted to his character. We must believe that God makes us attractive. Third thing we must believe this is also super important. We must believe that men and women are different. 
Oh, if you don't believe, if, you, if this is not a core conviction that you have that men and women are different, this is really going to trip you up in your relationship. So I'd like to give you three things in general about women. We could say a lot of things. I'm just going to give you three general statements about women that we find to be true, okay? Conflict lingers in her mind. Conflict, particularly unresolved conflict, lingers in her mind. And what happens for a woman is when there's any kind of issue... In the relationship, something could be, it could be silly or surface, whatever, it could be really deep, doesn't matter, whatever it is. If that is not resolved, she plays it over and over and over in her mind. And what do I hear other guys, what do I hear boyfriends and husbands say to me all the time? Why can't she just let it go? Why do we have to keep talking about it? I'm done with this. Just drop it, drop it, drop it. And you know what that says to her? That's like torture. You see, if you really believe that we're created different, you know, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. I'm torturing you when I say drop it and just walk away. Because, you know, I'm over it, so you should be over it. Unless I believe that God created us differently. Unless I believe that we've been created differently. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. So we need to talk through this. I need to get you to a place of resolve as much as I'm at the place of resolve. And therefore, I have to show tremendous patience to get you to that place because it just keeps going over and over in her mind. Number two thing about women in general, empathy matters in her heart. Empathy matters in her heart. So in other words, you don't want to rush in and and try to fix things. You don't want to fix things. You want to feel things, right? You want to feel what she is saying. You want to stop. You want to listen and you want to learn. Now, man, we could do a show of hands right now. So let's not do that. I know these things, and I'm not new to these things. Like, I have, I bet, I have 30 or 40 uh, relationship books that I've read in the course of my ministry life, okay? So I've heard these are proven things. Do you think that I do them all the time? I have made this mistake thousands of times. Krista tells me about some issue. I'm like, oh, okay, I got it. Like, I'll stop her mid-sentence. You just need to do this, you know, and every time I do that, you can see the frustration rising up in her. Like, well, what's the problem? I just solved your problem. Let's just, okay? Yeah, so we're done. Change subjects, right? <laughs> Don't fix it. Feel it. Stop. Listen, learn. Be patient. You know, so guys, a lot of times our romantic interest or our spouse or whatever will come to us. They already have it figured out. They don't need us. You know, we're not like the brains in the, in the whole equation, right? Oh, please, you know, right? They just want us to know what they've gone through. What's life been like for you? Okay, third thing. Conversation breathes life into her soul. She enjoys an abundance of meaningful conversation. Means very, you know, it's so true. Chris and I, when we have just away from everything where we can just like talk, 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 talk till I can't talk anymore, that's really helpful. Meaningful conversations. And then in these conversations, guys, really all you have to do is ask a couple key questions and just sit back and just let it roll, right? <laughs> these amazing questions, you know, these amazing, incredible questions. I... How was your day? <laughs> hey. or, or she shares something with you and you say, oh, instead of saying, well, let me tell you what to do about it, you say, and how did that make you feel? Huh? 
How about this one? How about this one? Going to her one time and saying, how are we doing? How, how are we doing? How do you feel we're doing? I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we're doing and just let her go. <laughs> you know, yes. Okay. All right. Let's talk about three things in general about men. All right. Affirmation is a must. Affirmation is a must. This is super important. Look, look. We used to think that guys are just like robots, like just Neanderthals, right? And they're walking around, ugh, ugh, I don't care. And we don't have to really say anything. Oh, he's cool. I don't really have to say anything. You know, he doesn't care anyway. He doesn't care anyway. But now, for the last, I'd say, 25 years, many, many, many studies are out, multitudes of studies about. And here's what the studies are all saying about men. They love affirmation. And for a lot of guys, they don't get it anywhere else but from their spouse, and you know what guys say? They want to be their spouse's Superman. Like one of their greatest desires in life is that he is the superhero to your life. He wants to be special. He wants to be one of a kind. But a lot of guys I hear say, you know what? I go out in the world and I do my thing. And sometimes I get, you know, awards or honors or some kind of accolades. But when I come home, I just feel like the scum of the earth. I feel like I can't do anything right. And the question is, is does he know? how special he is to you. Does he know that he is your Superman? Because his greatest desire is to be that. I was talking to a couple, this happened many years ago, many, many years ago. I was talking to a couple in my office, premarital counseling. They were in their mid-30s, both of them highly successful people, and they'd never been married before, and then here they sit. And uh, obviously, as they talked through this deal, I could tell that this had come up before in their own conversations. Like, he had had former romantic interest, and she had had former romantic interest. And his former romantic interest didn't bother him that he had them, and it didn't bother her. (laughs) But her former romantic interest was a big problem. Okay, you follow me? And this whole thing about being special and about being one of a kind just kind of erupted. And so she looks at me, looks at him, and she's like, look, dude, I'm a 35-year-old woman. Of course there's been other men in my life. And he's like, you should have known. You should have known that they were not as good as me. I am the one. I'm the only one that can float your boat. You should have known this. And then both of them look at me, right? Say something. (laughs) And I'm Logically, I wanted to say, hey, yeah, man, you know, she's right. But something inside of me just said, yes, you're right. You should have known. You should have known. And where is that coming? Where is it coming from? Where, where is it coming from? Because guys want to be special. They want to be one of a kind. They want to be the Superman, the superhero to their spouse. Does he know that affirmation? You can't do that one enough for him. Even if he says he hates it, he's lying. <laughs> He's lying. Number two, task equal love. You know how he says, I, I love you? This is how he says he loves you. You want to hear it with his words? I love you, baby. I love you so much. And instead, what he does is he fills up your gas tank. Or he takes out the trash, right? Or he cleans up the kitchen. This is the way he says, I love you. You're looking for texts and emails and flowers and chocolates and all this stuff with little notes. Hey, baby, I love you. And instead, you keep getting a full gas tank. Oh, I said, this in the, I said this in the first service, and a lady uh, came up to me. She said, I just got to tell you, this past week was my birthday. And so I texted my husband, hey, look, uh, you don't need uh, to worry about getting me flowers. Don't get me flowers. I want to pick out my own flowers. And he immediately texted back, that's great because I'm filling your tank up with gas right now. <laughs> it's so true. 
Everything is task-oriented with guys. This is the way that, uh, that they love. All right, one last thing that you really need to know. Conversation spells trouble. So for, for her, conversation is like breathing life. But when you say to him, hey, look, uh, can we sit down and talk about us? <laughs> what, what immediately is going through his mind? Oh, my gosh, we have to have a sit-down meeting. There's trouble. There's problems. And, and most all guys say this to me. You know what? She is just far more verbal than I am. It's like, you know, verbally, she's like a heavyweight champion. And I'm, I'm just like this little peon. I can't challenge. I can't go toe-to-toe with her verbally. And so she just, ah, just nails me right into the ground. And so when you say, let's sit down, let's have a talk, let's have a conversation, he's like, oh, it spells trouble. He doesn't have as many words and he doesn't have as many good words as you do. <laughs> so eventually you, you outlast him and he's there on the ground just dying. So we, we, need to, so we need to know that. We need to know about how conversation breathes life and conversation, you know, can spell trouble, right? And in these conversations, a lot of times we say, hey, look, husband, tell me how you feel. You need to know this. For most guys, they don't know how they feel. They don't have a clue. And for them to actually like dig down inside them to figure it out, that's like torture to us. Very painful. It's a painful exercise. I don't want to know how I feel. I don't care how I feel. You're asking me this, and why are you torturing me this way? So I'm not saying that we walk away, but we both need to have that belief that God created us different, and we need to figure it out. We need to come to a place of compromise about conversation. Okay, fourth and final point here this morning, and this one, this one also is very important, everybody. According to a, a, to a study that's done recently, a study that lasted more than 10 years, this is critically important and cannot be overstated. We must believe the best about our partner. It's super important. With your partner, whether things are going well or things are going horrible, that you have to know that your partner loves you and has your best interest in mind. All right, let me try to play this out for you, okay? Let's look at this on the percentages here. I'm going to give you two different things, and both of them are going to jive together. So first of all, the percent who care about their spouse and want the best for them, even in the middle of an argument, okay? So that totally makes sense that marriages that are like awesome, rock solid, happy marriages, 99%. So, so if I'm in a great marriage, I'm like, oh man, 99% of the time, right? I just want the best for my spouse. Just love her, want the best for her. Okay. Struggling, look at this, in struggling marriages. So if my marriage is struggling, 80% of the time people say yes, absolutely all the time. And then an additional 17% say yes, some of the time. So that's 97%. So track with me. I don't want you to get lost on this one. I'm in a struggling relationship. 97% of the time, 97, not all the time, but most of the time, 97% of the time, I still, in the midst of a crumbling marriage, in the midst of an argument, when you would think I would want the worst for my spouse, I still, 97% of the time, want the best for her. Now, keep that in mind. Let's look at the next one. The percent who believes, so now this is my spouse, what is their belief of me? right? There's a percent who believes that their spouse cares about them even during an argument. Well, of course, happy marriage is 96% of the time, but look at the next one. In a struggling marriage, 59% of the time. That means 41% of the people whose relationship is not going the greatest 
I overhear 97% of the time, I always want the best and I love my spouse, but she believes just a little more than half of the time that that's actually the way I feel about her. Does that make sense? So in other words, we get in a fight. We get in a fight and I say something, she says something, however all that works. And I'm like, you don't, you don't really have my best interest at heart. You don't really love me which is why you said what you did, and now the whole thing blows up. Or you could take it a different way. Something is said between the two of you, right? There's some kind of conflict, and you say, you know what? That really bothers me, what you just said. I don't understand what you just said, but here's what I know. I know that you love me and always want my best. Now, how does that, how does that play out differently from the first way? Does that make sense now? It plays out in a completely different way. If you will begin to believe the best in your spouse about their intentions towards you, you'll see a radical effect of that. This is what they found in the study, that almost every single thriving marriage that this was a prerequisite to. Let's read the quote that I have for you. It says this, Unlike most of the other habits that I studied, this one was very nearly a prerequisite for a happy marriage. So if you want to have a thriving romantic relationship, then this needs to be a part of it. Now, this can play out in many different ways. Like It can play out in business relationships too, you know? Your coworkers, your boss, he did that, she did that because she's undermining me or hating me or whatever. If they're a person of integrity, then you can trust them. But in our romantic relationships, if we can't believe the best and know that the person that we're in relationship with really loves us, it's going to begin to break and put too much strain on that relationship. Now, I want to try as best I can to uh, illustrate it with these boxes here. And my wife, Krista, is going to come out and going to try to help me with that. I am so done with this issue. I don't know why we have to keep talking it over and over and over again. But I know that God created you different from me. I know that conflict lingers longer in your mind than it does in mine. And so I want to pledge to you that I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay right here patiently. And we are going to keep talking about this issue until it is as resolved in your mind as it is in my mind. Thank you, John. I know how hard it is. It's so difficult for you to talk and talk incessantly with me to resolve these problems. I really appreciate you trying to work it through. John, I want to I wanna thank you for being a godly man. I find it so very attractive. When you take me by the hand and you, and you lift my needs before God, I feel so loved. And a couple nights ago, while Gracie was sleeping, I walked into her bedroom and I saw you there on your knees and your arms were spread over her praying for her my heart was overwhelmed 
Krista, I want to ask that you would forgive me for the many, many times that I rushed in very impatiently in a conversation and tried to fix all your problems. And I want to ask that you forgive me for the many times that I should have spoken up and told you what an incredible wife and mother you are and all the sacrifices that you have made for me and for our family. And I want to ask for your forgiveness for all the times I critiqued you so harshly instead of cheering you on and affirming you with my words. Sometimes you say things and it is so frustrating. I'm tempted to say irrational, but that wouldn't be the right thing to say. I'm just... I, I just don't understand it. And I don't understand some of the things you don't say. And it hurts my feelings. But? But. I know that you love me. And I know that you always have my best interests in your heart. Everybody, we wanted to go through that simple exercise to remind you that there's always something to say. There's always something productive to do. There is an answer that God has for you. You are not alone. You are not alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I prayed in the beginning, I ask again right now that you would come down in this room and that you would encourage every single heart. Whether, God, we are trying to heal a wounded relationship, whether we're trying, Father, to find reconciliation, maybe we need to step up the plate today and we need to say, please forgive me. And we need to name things. We need to write a list and say, here it is. Please forgive me for this. Or maybe there's, maybe there's things that we just need to give thanks to the other person for appreciation. Well, whatever it is, help us. Help us to do what we need to do. Father, bring healing and reconciliation over every relationship in this room today. Help us to believe that you are active in our lives and are working for our best. I thank you right now for the tenderness of this moment and for what you're doing in this room. Thank you for the lives and the relationships that are being changed by your power and by your presence. Father, I also want to ask that you would give encouragement to those of us who you have put it in our hearts, God find love, to find a man or woman of God. Lord, as the scripture portrays you in the book of Genesis as that divine matchmaker, we ask, oh great and mighty divine matchmaker, please come down and make divine matches all over this great community of people here this morning. 
develop our character and attract the right types of character to us. In Christ's holy name, amen. Everybody, before you get up and go, before you get up and go, I just want to remind you, as our relationships go, so goes our life. What we've talked about this morning is critically important. Some of us need to pause just a moment, sit in our seats, and think and pray. Or we need to think about a conversation we need to have with somebody. Some of us need to visit the prayer wall and have a group of people pray with us because we need God's help. And I just want to encourage you to do that. If you're new, we do something back over here called Grace in Five. Uh, and we'd love to meet you. God bless. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.